Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with the latest bullshit coming from the U.S. white supremacist court. Moving on to the wacky Russian coup that wasn't. And then follow all of that up with some new developments in our ongoing docuseries, The Greatest American Traitor. Let's begin, shall we? Since the hijacking of Merrick Garland's appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court, things have been going downhill. Fatty Kruger was able to get three Federalist Society-approved assholes onto the court with Gorsuch, Barrett, and the alleged rapist who loves beer, Brett Kavanaugh. And while the token Justice Clarence Thomas has been lavishly taking vacations paid for by conservative billionaires and helping his wife Ginny get involved in politics by being an accessory to the insurrection on January 6th, the largest court in the land has been changing things to make America look more Christian-like. First up, they overturned Roe v. Wade because every sperm is sacred, including your rapist baby that your brother gave you because you're 10 years old. And now this. From the Supreme Court just issued a landmark ruling on affirmative action. Colleges and universities will no longer be permitted to take race into account when reviewing the college applications. From the opinion just released by the Supreme Court, authored by Chief Justice John Roberts, quote, Harvard's and UNC's, meaning University of North Carolina's, admissions programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. The court has said that these admission policies, which do not include set-asides or numerical quotas, but they do consider race, among many other considerations, in the admissions process is impermissible because the value of diversity, the court has argued, isn't enough to justify the harms done to other students, equally or possibly better qualified, applying to those institutions. Oh, that old you-get-into-college-based-on-merit line white Republicans love to use in response to the necessity of what is formerly known as affirmative action. These descendants of the Confederate States of America don't much like the discussion of Reconstruction of the South after the Civil War that only lasted 10 years, thanks to the very dead President Rutherford B. Hayes, who ended the efforts to legally enforce racial equality in states that fought violently against freeing their slaves. Yeah, that decades-long rehabilitation effort, wanting to turn entitled white plantation owners into empathetic job creators, that was a failure because it was abandoned. You can't expect these deplorable, Bible-thumping, impotent, rage-filled morons to do the right thing unless the law says that they have to. And not for nothing, but the group Students for Fair Admissions who brought the lawsuit against affirmative action on behalf of Asian students wasn't even a group of Asian students. Students for Fair Admissions is a right-wing anti-affirmative action organization run by the very pasty white and definitely not Asian Edward Blum, who is a favorite of the Federalist Society another right-wing group who just so happened to provide Scooby-Coo with the list of justices he used to bring us to the Christian nationalist court that we have today. 
And just when you thought the colonizing Caucasians were satisfied with making sure less people of color receive a higher education and more future earning power, an impotent rage-filled Karen from Colorado was aspiring to be a mediocre web designer no one had ever heard of. When suddenly she used her imagination to create a problem that did not exist. Basic bitch extraordinaire Lori Smith came up with some Republican Jesus fan fiction that the U.S. Supreme Court found so disturbing they took away the rights of actual humans, already marginalized American citizens, by the way, to prevent Lori's biblical nightmare from coming to pass. Now to the other big ruling that we got this morning handed down. This is the ruling on free speech case involving a familiar challenge here. The question, whether businesses can refuse service to LGBTQ customers because doing so would violate the business owner's First Amendment rights. This was a six to three decision. The Supreme Court rules for a Christian web designer who objected to making wedding websites for same-sex couples. In the case of the wedding website, the plaintiff, Lori Smith, never even had a gay couple ask her for service. The whole case was based off of a hypothetical. She was simply a website designer who wanted to make wedding websites someday, but didn't want to have to do it for gay couples if they asked, which apparently they did not. And just so we all understand the level of whataboutism that just happened at the U.S. white supremacist court... Lori, I'm a homophobic asshole Smith from Colorado who got spooked by her own thought that she had in 2016 of possibly having to make a wedding website for a totally not real gay couple that she made up and put into a lawsuit to people she called Stuart and Mike. Mike, by the way, is a complete figment of Lori's delusional mind. Stuart is strangely based on a very straight and very married guy with children living in San Francisco who told NBC News he doesn't know who the fuck asshat Lori is and never asked her for a damn thing. But making up facts and never having designed a website in her entire life did not stop this religious crackpot spelled with three K's from suing the state of Colorado for the right to discriminate against hypothetical gay men. Lori lost that case, and rightfully so, but that didn't stop this bigot from going all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that, my friends, is how Christian nationalists will come for your rights. With all the made-up boogeymen and women and all of the vice versas, these poorly educated white supremacists can fabricate as long as there is a right-wing majority on the U.S. Supreme Court. And while we're on the subject of waging war based on bullshit, has anyone checked on Russia that week-long Slavic drama of will they or won't they happening over there reminded me of those moments when you're at a restaurant and you realize that the couple seated next to you is having a very public breakup and you can't exactly leave the restaurant because your food just arrived. Ugh. So this is how it all started. Security around Moscow is being tightened. The owner of the private Russian military contractor, the Wagner Group, which is fighting on the side of Vladimir Putin, 
called on his soldiers to march for justice on the Russian capital. Yevgeny Prigozhin, who leads the Wagner mercenary group, has accused the Russian military of a deadly missile strike on his troops, allegedly killing dozens. He's vowed to march for justice and punish those responsible. Those who destroyed our guys today, along with tens of thousands of lives of Russian soldiers, will be punished. I ask no one to put up any resistance. Justice for the troops will be restored, and then justice for all of Russia. Oh, I just love it when the girls are fighting, especially international fights. <laughs> so basically, the bromance between the fun-sized dictator of Russia and the leader of the Wagner mercenary group hired to fight little Putin's war in Ukraine had a TMZ-level breakup right in front of the entire world. And when I say bromance, I mean these two were as close as a Slavic dictator and his chef could be. Yevgeny Prigozhin is a capo, a mid-level and until recently loyal soldier who has risen through the ranks by doing special tasks for his boss, President Putin. Prigozhin owned a chain of restaurants, including the New Haven in St. Petersburg, which Putin and his early team used as a hangout earning him the nickname Putin's chef. He founded a bot farm, the Internet Research Agency. So doubts about the legitimacy of the 2016 election, highlighted racial tensions in the United States, and promoted Donald Trump. Prigozhin reinvented himself again into a commander of a mercenary army, the Wagner Group, supplementing Russian troops in Ukraine, which were failing on the battlefield. He recruited thousands of convicts, promising pardons in exchange for frontline service. Prigozhin is also rich. He uses his private army to prop up dictators in Africa, in particular the president of the Central African Republic. Totally understandable when two men have been in a relationship as long as Madimir Botox and Prigozhin, that there's bound to be some arguments along the way. But when the Wagner Group founder accused Russia's walking, talking Napoleon complex of killing a shit ton of his men and then vowed revenge for the fallen while threatening to forcibly fire his former bestie, the rest of us were <laughs> gobsmacked. So while we all watched open mouthed as Pergozin grabbed the convicts turned soldiers who were still alive and headed out for Moscow, seizing Russian cities along the way in what was obviously described as an armed coup, because what else do you call a couple of hundred mercenaries carrying guns and riding tanks through your streets? <laughs> Naturally, as Pergozin got closer to Moscow, Jello Putin Pop started to get a bit nervous and issued a warning to his newest mortal enemy saying, uh-uh, you better not. Russian officials in response quickly launched a criminal investigation into Prigozhin on charges of armed mutiny. President Vladimir Putin is accusing the Wagner mercenary group of an armed rebellion, and he warns that those involved will be punished. President Putin calls the actions by Prigozhin a betrayal and a stab in the back to the Russian people, and he says those who follow him will pay the price. Oh, them sounds like fighting words. <laughs> To everyone who watched this unfold, and I mean anyone who has access to the internet, this Mean Girls catfight started to look like a bona fide regime change when Wagner's dudes were camped out just 150 miles from Moscow.
And at that point, President Biden was briefed on the infighting which was going on in Russia. And it just goes to show you Russian reality is way better than their television programming. Which is probably why Vladdy Cake's other bestie in Belarus stepped in to get these two BFFs into the same room so they could talk things out in a not-so-safe space. Remember, Belarus President Alexar Lushenko is in a love-hate relationship with Russia's St. Petersburg shorty because the little guy depends on Belarus for goods and services, and Lushenko is one of the few leaders who will still do business with Putin on the fritz. And apparently, when you stop mercenaries from invading your nation's capital, you call Lushenko, who has a particular set of deal-making skills because within just a few hours of Prigozhin declaring revenge slash rebellion and within spitting distance of not gladdy Putin, Prigozhin suddenly called off his dogs. But almost as suddenly as the advance started, the mercenaries began retreating. They backed down after a deal brokered by Belarus. Russian state media is quoting Vladimir Putin's spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, who is saying that the criminal case against Evgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner mercenary group for armed rebellion, is going to be dropped and in exchange... Prigozhin is going to agree to go into some kind of exile in Belarus. Oh, now that is way harsh. Not only did Pooty Poot and his one-time bestie Prigozhin make a scene in public, and I mean on the international stage, which made world leaders shake their heads, wondering why these two partners in international crime couldn't just kiss and make up. No. Little Stalin had to exile the dude to a country he's planning on snatching back for Mother Russia sometime in the near future. So, I guess, stay tuned for a sequel to my former best friend's failed revenge coup. (laughs) And while we're on the subject of failed coups, the Senate Homeland Security Committee recently released a report tracking and exposing all the ways the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security under Mayor McTreason failed to tell anyone about the insurrection planning happening online and in plain sight. A new report accuses the FBI and Department of Homeland Security of downplaying warning signs ahead of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. The report paints a damning picture of the missed opportunities to prevent or prepare for that insurrection. It appears that there were numerous participants from multiple states planning the attack. Ahead of January 6th, federal agents were tracking violent threats about the storming of the U.S. Capitol, but failed to share that information with law enforcement. And intelligence and analysis the office within the Department of Homeland Security that is tasked with alerting police about threats did not issue a single intelligence report. Holy forking shirt balls. <laughs> Before we go any further, I want to make it absolutely clear. The time frame we are discussing is while Dingus Khan was still the president of the United States and in charge of the agencies tasked with monitoring and reporting any planning of overthrowing the U.S. government by anyone, even poorly educated white Americans. That means exactly what you think it means. And I don't know about you, but I hope special counsel Jack Smith reads this Senate report 
on what can only be described as willfully ignoring Al-Qaeda all over social media sites where domestic terrorists go to plan their attacks on democracy. Sites like Parler, Telegraph, and Scooby Coo's knockoff Twitter site, oh, and Twitter as well, but it wasn't just cosplaying militias coordinating online in comment threads. The FBI and the DHS, under the traffic cone of treason, ignored and did not report call-in tips like this one. They will all be armed. They think that they will have a large enough group to march into D.C. armed and will outnumber the police so they can't be stopped. They believe that since the election was stolen, that it's their constitutional right to overtake the government. And during this coup, no U.S. laws apply. Their plan is to literally kill people. Please, please take this tip seriously and investigate further. I think they will have large numbers and every single one of them is expecting and eager to use their weapons. You know, I'm no Miss Cleo. But that tip sure sounded an awful lot like an exact description of the people who ended up insurrecting on the Capitol January 6th. I mean, that description of their white privileged delusion? Spot on. And definitely something our FBI and DHS should have been concerned about. And who knows if they would have been concerned had someone else been occupying the White House. But at the time these tips were coming in and being shelved for no one to listen to, the Fraud Fathers administration was laser focused way over on something else. A threat so threatening, they didn't have time to waste chasing down Clown Ligula's army of dumbasses planning a field trip to the Capitol to help the Danger Yam stay in power. Who could I be talking about? Black Lives Matter. According to the Senate report, in the lead up to January 6th, the intelligence community focused intensely on black-led racial justice protests while effectively ignoring threats from right-wing domestic terrorists. Intelligence leadership was particularly focused on the civil unrest in Portland, and everything relating to it was treated as being urgent. Intelligence collectors were pressured to find evidence to support management's conclusion about the Portland protests, such as by linking the protests to Antifa, despite the fact that overwhelming intelligence regarding the motivations or affiliations of the violent protesters did not exist. The report describes a pendulum swing within the intel community that had a chilling effect on reporting information about January 6th. Quote, they thought almost anything was reportable during the Portland protests, but they were hesitant or fearful to report information related to January 6th events. This kind of shit is upsetting for a lot of reasons, but I'm just going to give you two. First off, the whole very fine people on both sides bullshit coming from Tangerine Palpatine, along with the Republicans calling Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization in the media, because, and get this, they were associating them with Antifa, otherwise known as anti-fascists. Well, actually, that's kind of funny. <laughs> but secondly, knowing what we know now, that whole look, the black people are terrorists, was providing cover for the very pasty American Taliban who were openly plotting online to bust their way through the Capitol and smear their shit all over the walls because YMCA hole told them that he lost the election. That, my friends, is some next-level Southern fried racist bullshit right there using the FBI and the DHS to monitor, harass, and violate 
people who are protesting getting murdered by the police while giving a nod and turning a blind eye to Grease Team 6 maggots organizing all over the internet their very first insurrection and our first insurrection in U.S. history. And if you thought that was horrible, this whole classified documents case with the fraud father has inspired bringing one of these old cons that he loves out of retirement. Attention, Donald Trump's small donors. You're paying for his legal fees, whether you knew it or not. Major change in his presidential campaign literature and online fundraising material that said 10% of every dollar, 10 cents on every dollar that you donate is going over to the Save America PAC. That means a lot because he collected $15 million since he's been indicted. They took $60 million of the Save America PAC money and transferred it to the the super PAC that he's going to use to support his campaign. That's $60 million. Then he spent $16 million on attorney's fees. That's right, kitties. All you maggots giving your hard-earned American dollars to the Tiny Hands McGrifters campaign to become a dictator again are actually paying for his legal fees. You know, all the trouble he's in because he stole classified documents and the U.S. government secrets and then refused to give them back. I mean, that's how special counsel Jack Smith explained what happened in that criminal indictment on Mayor McTreason. Didn't you read it? And there is a tape recorded in 2021, a year after Eric's dad was no longer president, while he's waving some documents that he stole in the face of Mark Meadows' biographer and other various people in the room, bragging about what he's got and admitting it's classic. Wait a minute, why don't I just play this for you? Right, trying to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll, I'll show you an example that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. It wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. Mm. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. <laughs> it is like highly confidential, yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret information. But look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time, you know. She sent it, no, she sent it to yeah. Anthony Weiner, yeah, yeah. the pervert. Yeah, this was yeah. done by the military, given to me. Trying to figure out a, a, yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified yeah. it. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classified. Now, now we have a problem. <laughs> oh, oh, sweetie, you nailed it. You guys definitely have a problem. As a side note, in January of 2019, it was widely reported by all the networks that the Dumps administration, quote, asked the Pentagon to drop options for military strikes against Iran. They did this a year prior because he wanted to retaliate against Iran for mortar shells going off near diplomatic sites in the region. And that is that document that you hear rustling around on tape. That is the same plan of attack on Iran that Hair Farce 1 specifically asked for. Not something General Milley just made up and gave to the overbronzed gourd on his next show-and-tell meeting at the Pentagon. 
So, yeah, I'd say lying on top of stealing is definitely a problem. In fact, the documents burglar has 37 problems so far, but trying to figure out who leaked the audio recording really shouldn't be one of them. Someone should tell that to Fox Not A News Channel because the poorly educated hosts on the Alternative Facts Network have been racking their very few brain cells that they have left trying to figure out how to make a totally not crazy theory about who done it and failing hilariously. First up is the shittiest host on Fox, Mr. Steve Ducey, who had a stinky little nugget that he came up with all on his own. Roll tape. Trump uh, posted on True Social, the deranged special prosecutor, Jack Smith, working in, conjun in conjunction with the DOJ and FBI, illegally leaked and spun a tape and transcript of me, which is actually an exoneration. So you know what? Perhaps somebody on his side actually did the leaking to CNN and Maggie Haberman. Trump's lawyers actually knew about this tape since March when one of Trump's aides, a woman by the name of Margot Martin, was asked about it during an appearance before the grand jury and then the government subpoenaed her copy of the tape. So the tapes are floating around on the Trump side. We, we don't know, uh, you know, exactly where it came from. Oh, I gotta say, Deucemeister, it's a crappy but definitely paranoid theory you got there. So just because the lawyers who were lied to by Walker classified documents of Ader about what he had and when he had it and where he was hiding it decided to tell the special counsel where the boxes had been hidden... They, of course, must be the ones who leaked the audio recordings of Clown Ligula committing violations of the Espionage Act, right? It's so paranoid how a poorly educated man's mind works. But the fun doesn't stop there, folks, with the deuce. Because Sean the Neck Hannity turned on a justifying treasonous acts against the U.S. government by a former commander in cheese all the way up to eleven. While he did say, you know, this is stuff that he got from the military that would be highly confidential and secret and says at another point, as president, I could have de declassified it. Now I couldn't. But now, you know, it would still be a secret. That does not confirm for me whether or not specifically this this document was declassified or not. Uh, was that actually a real the real document or was it a story that he was telling? Um, and my understanding is, is that that particular document was never found by the special counsel or by, you know, the raid at Mar-a-Lago. But I might be mistaken on that. I don't think I am. OK, and, and see that is where Sean of the Indicted makes his first mistake. He thought. It's clear when you hear the rustling of the paper and Dolt 45 describing the Iranian attack plans that he's talking to this chucklehead biographer about and holding them in his hand and rustling and talking. That is what's happening. But Spinmaster Hannity is hoping that his poorly educated audience won't be able to put two and two together, probably because they can't, but mostly because Jack Smith hasn't been able to locate the plans, the Iranian attack plans at Mar-a-Lago. And I say that's because they aren't hidden there. And since this audio recording was made in the New Jersey Bedminster golf course, perhaps someone should dig up his ex-wife who's buried on the property for totally not a sussy reason like hiding Iranian attack plans. I'm just saying, maybe it's in the coffin. 
It makes more sense to me than the excuse the former oath of office came up with. Everything was fine. We did nothing wrong, and everybody knows it. You're not concerned then with your own voice on those on those recordings? My voice was fine. What did I say wrong on those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. All I know is I did nothing wrong. We had a lot of papers, a lot of papers stacked up. In fact, you could hear the rustle of the paper, and nobody said I did anything wrong other than the fake news, which, of course, is Fox, too. Are there any other recordings that we should be concerned of? Uh, I don't know of any recordings that you should be re, uh, concerned with because I don't do things wrong. I do things right. I'm a legitimate person. <laughs> oh, so, Colgan, he can say that he is a legitimate person all day long. In fact, that's totally what a robot would say. But don't forget that he also said he didn't see the audio tape confession. So there's that. And whether or not he did anything wrong. Well, you know what? Jack Smith has evidence of at least 37 things that Dingus Khan did wrong, include moving hundreds of boxes containing classified documents around his retirement home when the feds asked for them back, which is the exact thing that he did wrong. And the reason why he is incriminally indicted, regardless of whether or not the sycophants in the room say that he did anything wrong. But to be honest, it's all going to come out in court anyway. So stay tuned. And that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday. And you can follow us on social media where you can find us. The show is available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, or basically anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this show and to Dur for now.